Hello, and welcome to It's Lit, where all things literary live at the root. I'm Aisha Kai, Managing Editor of The Glow Up, and today we are talking with the very talented Kylie Reed, author of Such a Fun Age. Kylie's debut novel was a runaway hit of 2020. It was an instant New York Times bestseller and was named Best Book of the Year by numerous publications, including NPR, The Washington Post, Kirkus Reviews, Slate, Elle, and my hometown paper, The Chicago Tribune. It's also been optioned by Emmy-winning actress, producer, and screenwriter Lena Waits, Hellman Grad Productions, and Sight Unseen Pictures. And I, for one, cannot wait to see it. I had so much fun talking to Kylie. She's someone who I've been trying to get on the podcast for quite some time. So it was thrilling to finally get to sit down with her thanks to the spring launch of the paperback of Such a Fun Age. We talked about how this book came to be and her approach to crafting a compelling story, her writing style, and so much more. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. Let's get to it. Kylie, welcome to It's Lit. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat. I'm excited to chat with you today because this is like super cool for me. I have a lot of questions about such a fun age, but before we dig into this seriously fun read, because I think this was a really fun read for me. Oh, good. (laughs) um, We have a ritual here at It's Lit. We built this podcast to be about Black books, Black writers, Black journalists, thought leaders. And we like to start every episode by asking our guests to name at least one book or books, if you can't just name one, that has been life-changing, groundbreaking, mind-blowing for you? Like, was there a specific book that just broke you wide open as a writer or a reader? Okay. I mean, you know I did my homework. Like, I'm ready. I love it. I love it. See, that's what I'm talking about. I could even do a show and tell for you. I, like, have them here ready (laughs) and waiting. I should tell our readers, I'm looking looking at Kylie, and there's, like, a whole bookshelf, like, a whole wall of books. So, yes. (laughs) Okay. I couldn't pick just one. So I'm going to do, I'm going to do one nonfiction, which is this one here, uh, Black Liberation and Socialism by Mm. Ahmed Shaki. I felt that you know, you ever realize like you're looking for something that you don't even know what you're looking for. And I, yes. (laughs) And and this was something I was looking for in terms of probably coming off of talking about this novel too. Mm -hmm. I was looking for someone, an expert to help me understand racism as a material materially connected to capitalism, Mm. understanding racism through the history of labor specifically you know, sugar, tobacco, rice, and what's the other one? Uh, what's the other one? I, I mean, can't I, remember. There's another. <laughs> there is another. I mean, yeah, sugar, tobacco, rice, cotton. Uh, yes, that's what. But How also, I forget cotton? also wow. domestic yeah. labor, domestic labor, which you get into. Absolutely. It was a really great read and just one of those reads that you can't stop underlining everything and understanding you know, white supremacy coming up along with capitalism and labor and not separate from it. It was really, really wonderful. And so that was one that looked this year I read that was really great. And then this one, okay, I'm late. Everyone's like, we know. I'm like, guys, this is really good. <laughs> it's Salvage the Bones by Jasmine Ward. Knocked me out. You're not late. You know, I think you're only the second person who said that on the podcast. I think the first was Jason Reynolds. So you're in great company. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm late as well. 
because as much as I love books, I can't read everything all the time. I am obsessed with Jasmine Ward uh, in general. And I, I, honestly, I'm, I'm okay obsessed with you. So don't be freaked out. So but I nice. was, when you talk about a book that I don't know that you felt like you needed to read, this was a book for me. You know, <laughs> that makes me really happy. That's awesome. <laughs> no, it was, fun. you know, Michaela knows this. I've been talking about getting you on the podcast. We started the podcast way after you published this book. So I, I wasn't sure if we would, you know, get you on here. But I have been talking about you since the beginning. So I was really excited. And I should note that the book just came out on paperback. So y'all can get that version. If you want something bendable that you can put in your bag, go ahead. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I just want to say that. (laughs) But, you know, and I'm sure you've had time now to get acclimated to your success, which has included several accolades and award nominations. And I don't know, an acquisition by... Lena Waith and Hillman Grad Productions, and there's things happening and sight unseen pictures. Like this thing. is this yeah. is there are things happening for you. Which <laughs> congratulations on all of that. Thank you. And I'm excited to see how this translates to the screen as well. But I, I have to just ask, you know, straight up, like, what was your initial vision for this novel? Like, how did this originate for you? You know, it all for me, it always starts with people. It's the people who really, really get me hooked into something, and coming out of it, you know, people always say like, you know, what made you want to write about race? And it's never, I, I personally feel like you cannot theme your way into a plot. It has to be the other way around and you have to start Mm. with people. So for me, I love very low to the ground, domestic, almost petty instances that you walk away being like, what did she, why did she say that? What does she mean? But I love those moments. And I also think that three is such a magical fiction number. So I just knew that I wanted a young woman who's figuring out her life, her boss and her boyfriend. That's really what I knew that I wanted. And I got lucky in that that translated into a more interesting three-way relationship, which was a young black woman, the white child she takes care of and the mother of the child. So that was, that was it. I just wanted an awkward three-way thing. That was the beginning. It was wonderfully awkward. And I, you know, (laughs) uh, Michaela already knows this about me, uh, our producer, Michaela, for our readers, our our listeners, I should say, Uh, you know, I, uh, I have woo child moments. And in this book, so I think I say whenever I get verbal with a book, that's a good thing. Like I, I sat there reading your book so and I was much. so verbal. I was like, oh no. Oh yes. hell no. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. I love that so much. There was a minute where a lot of people were tagging their pets' faces when they would go <gasps> and their pet would look at them when they were reading the novel, which I love. So yes, a verbal read is is the There goal. were audible gas. Then I felt like, you know, in a weird way, it's like that that it's like the the literary version of like black people in the in the movie theater yes. you know we're like girl don't do it don't yes. go in there like no yes. run <laughs> they can't <laughs> you know, hear you that, but, right? but they hear you so. they, but they do hear me they yeah. heard me so i want to talk about the title for a minute because you just talked yeah. about three being a magical number and uh three comes up obviously in in the littlest heroine of this book mm-hmm. <laughs> who was a, a three-year-old child i know a little briar uh, um but, you know, it, this title seems so multi-layered to me, and I just had to ask just flat out. I mean, it's a simple question, but oh, what, yeah. is, what does the title Such a Fun Age mean to you? Absolutely. Uh, you know, on a really basic level, this is just a little pension of mine. I love when the title isn't in the book for some reason. Mm-hmm. I love when it stands on its own and and kind of sh- puts an umbrella over the whole thing. I looked for it. I looked for it. I, I was don't. like, where is it? <laughs> Everyone's like, wait, where is this thing? I'm like, you ain't going to find it. So stop looking. (laughs) I love that when it's not in a book for some reason. Uh, But, you know, the first thing was I've 
really interested in transactional relationships, mm-hmm. especially those that happen inside the house, because this person's in your house all day, but they are a stranger, especially if you have your boundary set up. So such a funny, just something that I heard often when I was babysitting between strangers on a playground, it was always, oh, he's so cute. Oh, how old is he? Oh, it's such a fun age. Yeah. And it was just like asking about the weather. It was a very just trite thing to say between people. So I love that it put you in a toddler and a stranger place at first, but also I love adding a clock onto a story. And for Amira, her 26th birthday is this constant timer of like, Hey, you need to figure out what's going on with your healthcare because of the country we live in. (laughs) So you got to figure it out. Um, But even bigger, uh, this is based in 2015 and There was a very big move to romanticize the time before the 2016 presidential election and saying, oh, things were so good, things are terrible now. And and that's not exactly true. Black Lives Matter started making themselves really known in 2014 and 15, but also, you know, in the 50s, most women were domestic care workers. And so I wanted it to comment on the bigger age and almost as, you know, as if nothing has changed in certain scenarios, except for now we're just texting and, and looking at things online instead. Well, I mean, I, first of all, that's brilliant and I love it. And second, you know, thank you for making that nod. You know, when, there's so many references here and I'm going to double back to that. But one of them that, that was writ really strong for me is this definite history of Black women's domestic labor in the United States in particular. Like my own great-grandmother was a domestic. <laughs> you know, I think, I don't, you know, I was a, I'm a former teacher. My mother's a former teacher. You know, I think that While that doesn't take place in the home, there is this juxtaposition, right, of Black women being tasked with caring for predominantly white children in a a very specific way. And I think that you did something really masterful, like with the nuances of that here. And as as one of your characters, uh, I'm not even sure he's one of the more woke characters, but one of your characters, Kelly, he's endearing. But that and that, see, even that. The nuances. You made these people so complex. It's like, I love you. I hate you. I love you. I hate you. You know, right? But as Kelly notes, uh, there's a lot to unpack here. There's a lot to unpack. (laughs) And you delve into not just race, but it's also about class. It's about respectability politics. It's about generational politics. It's about police intimidation. And I don't think it's wrong or, and I certainly hope not insulting to say this was ambitious and you, but you pulled it off, right? Fantastic. Yeah. So did this, unfold organically for you? Like, or were you just like adding layers? You know, you said you didn't deliberately set out to write a book about race, Mm -hmm. but how did this unfold for you as a narrative? I think, you know, I think many writers, the first, you know, initial phases is thinking about writing the book for like a year. Yeah. I can personally attest to this or two. Yep. Yep. That part is important too. I don't know. You can do whatever is good for you. I definitely sat on it for about a year. And then I was living in New York City and I had just gotten a huge round of nine rejections to Mm. graduate school. Mm. And my then boyfriend, now husband said, you know, I have a job opportunity in Arkansas. Do you want to move with me and write your butt off and see what happens? I was like, let's do it. Let's change it up. I moved to Arkansas and that's where I really put pen to paper. So I started writing it there, but I, I do remember... Okay. So from there, I went to graduate school and that's where I finished it. But that was New York to Arkansas to Iowa. And I remember being in very specific place in all three states where I thought this is not going to work. This is just not going to pan out the way I want it to. And I'm so glad it did. But I think that that doubt is very normal, especially with something that's super plot driven. 
you really have to figure out all of those twists and turns while making characters nuanced but familiar and making them, you know, go along with the rules that you've set up. And so I would say, you know, a lot of other authors spend years and years. I only spent three years on this, but there were definitely moments where I was like, this ain't it, but I'm glad it was. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I want to zone in a little more on craft, actually, since you attended the Iowa Writers Workshop. One of the things that really, um, and maybe you had this talent before, which is why I wanted to ask this question, because something that intrigued me repeatedly while I was reading this book and revisiting it, you have a very unique skill. I, I think it's unique, and I read a lot of books. <laughs> you, uh, <laughs> you have a way of, and we talk, you, you've mentioned nuance, I've mentioned nuance, but you specifically have a way of capturing like facial expressions and little like physical tics and gestures that make these characters so real and so specific and so recognizable, right? <laughs> and I was like, wow, like, do you think that's a technique you developed or was that a natural instinct there? Okay. I'm really glad you say that because I feel like it makes the way that I write, like worth it. Like, cause I'm doing those facial things while I'm writing and I look crazy <laughs> and I get crazy. It really it. Helps. <laughs> I just, you have to do those little things to make sure that that's what that is. And I think that at Iowa, I started to trust myself a little bit more. I had a really wonderful teacher, Paul Harding, author of Tinker's Pulitzer Prize winner. He was amazing. And I remember writing that one of Amira's friends, when she's saying thank you, that she's pouting and saying thank you. And Paul said, that is what that emotion is. And that does is what that face looks like. It doesn't make sense that she's pouting, but that's what you do in that moment. Follow that instinct and just write it how you see it. And so I think that Iowa, you know, certain teachers really gave me the confidence to just write things as they are and, and do those weird facial tics as you're writing to make sure that you're getting it right. Um, but I did go to undergraduate school for theater. And so I've always been really go. interested in what faces are doing. I know. <laughs> I cheated. I mean, I'm, 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 you can probably tell just because of how I am, but I'm also a former theater kid. So that makes I really sense think to me. that former theater kids like lend themselves to novels very nicely. So I'm very excited to read whatever you put out. <laughs> I mean, we get characters. And it's so interesting because I found myself during the book and I think it is the former actress in me was sitting there and I was like mimicking the facial expressions that you were describing. Like, is that? And I'm like, oh, my God. And every single time it was dead on. I was like, that is exactly what you do. And so I was that is like, how I read too. Like, <laughs> so I'm like, Kylie, you are not auditioning for this part. Like, stop doing right. this. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but, yeah. Exactly. But in my mind, I am. And but I was exactly. also just sitting there like, wow, like she really nailed this. Like there's something, yeah. There was something that I had not seen before in terms of 
this specific physicality of these characters. And I, I think it's fair to say for people who haven't read the book, and you all should, and it's an easy read. Like, you know, it's such a, like I said, it's such a fun read as well as such a fun age. It's not, <laughs> and I don't mean, when I say it's an easy read, I don't need, I don't even mean it's a simple read. It just was easy. It was like a clean, easy, fun read, right? And I, <laughs> I did, I did find myself, I, I think it's, it's fair to say to our, our listeners that the plot is actually fairly condensed. It's not, this is not like a huge sprawling, like epic. No, this, I think it's like four months. It's pretty yeah, condensed. Yeah. I mean, four months, but also like 15 years, but it's still, right. but it's still tight. It's really beautifully tight. And I was, I really admired that Thank here. Um, but I, I mean, and I'm sure I'm not the first one to say this and I hope you will not be at all <laughs> offended because I mean it in a actually deeply <laughs> affectionate way. Obviously, this book like brought up some very specific like reference points for me. Like I'm like, oh, this is like the nanny diaries, but with like the most of the nannies that you actually see. Or it's like the help if the help was centered in their own story, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> so I was sitting there. You are not the first. <laughs> I, kn- I knew I wasn't. I knew I was like, I can't possibly be the first person who says this. And I didn't think that was necessarily your intention, but I I actually loved it for that because I felt like it reconciled a lot of the problematic aspects of those two books while introducing new problems. Because <laughs> so, yeah. there are new I problems. Think, you know, with this book in particular, the fact that you see references is, is wonderful to me. With this one, I really wanted to build off of a lot of stereotypes mm-hmm. that we've seen and then bend and twist them a little bit. And so, you know, you see that in Kelly is a straight white man and Amira is this young black babysitter. And then in their friend groups, Alex and Amira have the same different stereotypes in their friend groups. It's the momish friend, the tell it like it is friend. And then I was very excited to play with the magical Negro character we've seen so much of and the sassy best friend that yes. you see in movies as well. Yes. And so, you know, picking up this book, it's been such a fun, funny, interesting ride of people saying like, oh, I need to read this book. I, I need to do the work. I need to do the thing. And then they leave like quoting Tamara. I'm like, girl, you can't just no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 because that's not how, that's not how it works. Um, so yes, the fact that you were seeing those references was definitely intentional. And I think that that makes it a tight read as well. I love that you brought up Tamara because, you know, sometimes it'd be your own people. <laughs> sometimes. Mm. All skin folk ain't, folk, ain't kin folk. Um, but, you know, that actually brings me to my next question because, you know, I think it's very easy to walk away from this book and be like, hell hath no fury like a white woman scorned. Like, you could just talk about all the, the Karens and the white women's problems and white people's problems. But, like, was there a villain for you in this book? Because... I have my own thoughts about that, but did you okay. have a villain in mind when you wrote? I mean, this? okay, so here's the, here's the thing. You know, this is a novel about people freaking out yeah. about their manners, how they're viewed, what they say, how they say it, and as a reader, and intimacy. I love to read they're it. freaking yes. out about intimacy, which is like hard, and, and especially now, it like really strikes home intimacy. What does that mean anymore? Absolutely. And, you know, as a reader, I love watching people, you know, expel real human behavior and freak out about these little moments because I do that too. As a writer of this, the villain is the fact that Amira can't go to the doctor. Like, that is the villain in this book because in the first chapter, you know, Amira faces this really, you know, racially driven incident, but for the rest of it, she doesn't have healthcare. 
And, and that's, you know, that stems from systemic racism as well. And I am more afraid of Alex doing the right thing and giving Amira healthcare, but then having a mercurial personality and being able to take it away from her. Alex having that power, I think, is, is more of a villain in the story. And so this is not a cop-out, but I mean, the fact that Amira can't, you know, go to the doctor when she's sick, that is, that is the real villain in the story. Well, I mean, you wrote this before we knew how crucial that would become, right? Like this, this book came out in hardcover in December of 2019. Obviously, within four months, our lives changed dramatically. Yeah. And, and the concept <laughs> of healthcare has meant something so totally different in the past year. Um, sure, you can get a vaccine shot for free if you survived to get a vaccine shot, right? Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. And oh, that really, you know, uh, it, and it's so funny because I, I was thinking of another thing that you did here, you know, as you noted earlier, you set this in like 2015 and uh, 2015 going to 16. And as you said, this was not <laughs> like, we're not just seeing the genesis of the Black Lives Matter movement now. We're seeing actually the regeneration of the Black Lives Matter movement that mm-hmm. we saw start seven years ago that has been going since Trayvon Martin and yes. so many others since that, just one after another. And this concurrent, like, you know, this like just concurrent trauma and consistent trauma, excuse me. But, you know, this is a book that starts with capturing a racist encounter on video. I think it's worth noting that you and I are speaking literally days after <laughs> the Chauvin verdict was uh, yep. handed down. And this is a, and this is a case we know, and I'm a Minneapolis native, so you know I took this personally. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a verdict that we know would never have been convicted if it had not been caught on video. Like there was a mm-hmm. whole different narrative never. being floated. Like, how does that sit with you now? Like in terms of like, I mean, we're still going through this. Obviously mm-hmm. we had trauma that same day. So how does it sit with you in terms of like being part of while I know that wasn't your intention about being part of that history and that narrative as well in terms of this now being part of our collective consciousness that you have mm-hmm. to, if you don't tape it, it didn't happen, right? Right, right. I think that that's a really great question. Oh man, there's so many things. Do I have time? To you have time. You have time, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> oh, uh, you know, so many Black authors and artists had to contend with the fact that last year and, and still this year, that what brings people to their art are horrendous murders. And as an artist, I feel you do not get to choose how people come to your art. And I don't think you should be picky about that either. And I think it's a very human emotion to say, I'm panicking. What do I do? How do I, let me read a book. That's beautiful. At the same time, Black authors such as myself have to contend with the fact that your book is playing a role in what is a lie that is presented that consumption can just cure racism. And that's just not true. You cannot consume your way out of a a racist environment and system. And so it's difficult to sometimes see your book as a balm for people, especially when you didn't create it to tell white people something or, or teach them something, you know, I think you can learn from novels for sure. But, you know, when I'm a teacher, or when I'm in my classroom, that's when I'm a teacher, or when I'm writing, I'm a storyteller. And I think that when you're looking at a piece of art, you know, imagine going to a museum and looking at a picture and being like, oh, make me good, like teach me how to be, that's not how you enjoy art. And so I think that a lot of black authors are contending with the fact that people aren't enjoying their art the way that they once thought they would. That being said, you know, 
I've done a lot of interviews for this novel and I've been so, so bowled over by the response. And I understand that interviewers have a job. They try to wrap things up very, very nicely at the end and say, you know, tell us about the hope that you have. <laughs> and I just, I'm, I'm trying so, so hard to be really honest and say that at a certain point, it's unfair to ask Black people to talk about their hope. Mm-hmm. You know, when we see issues like this come over and over and over again. And honestly, there's the horror that we see online with these videos and in your hometown, but you can't help but be a human and think, okay, this is the stuff we see. You cannot capture on your phone when a doctor doesn't believe that a black woman is in pain. You can't capture on a phone when someone doesn't get a job or when someone's, you know, delivery of their birth like goes wrong because they aren't believing them. And so there's the horror of seeing it. And then there's the horror of knowing that, you know, there's a lot of things we can't capture on camera as well. So I'm trying very hard to, you know, not let gender and race make me talk about my hope because honestly thinking about what's wrong drives me to act. And so I'd I'd rather just stick out where the truth is and and let that drive me. Yeah. I love that response and I can't wait to see what comes next. And Kylie, thank you so much. This was really, really nice. (laughs) Just for your, I know your honesty, your honesty is amazing and it's refreshing. And this book I do think it's a bomb and not in the way that you would expect in a weird way. It kind of hit me in all, it hit me in all the spots I needed to be hidden during a lockdown. So thank you for that. Yeah. This was really, really lovely. Thank you so much. Every time, every time I get the privilege of having a a black interviewer, I like forget myself and I'm like, Oh, we were recording. Like, just like be cool. So this was really, really nice. I really appreciate it. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank member FDIC. The Root Presents It's Lit is produced by myself, Maisha Kai, and Michaela Heck. Our sound engineer is Ryan Allen. Our theme song was penned by yours truly and producer Scott Jacoby. If you like the show and want to help us out, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps us out, and we appreciate your feedback so much. If you have any thoughts or feedback, you can find me on Twitter at Maisha, that's M-A-I-Y-S as in Sam, H-A, and at Maisha Kai on Instagram. And before we go, we always like to talk a little bit about what we're currently reading. What I'm currently reading now is The Personal Librarian. Now, this is a novel based on a true story, um, kind of a turn of the century story, turn of the last century, that is, of a woman who was hired by J.P. Morgan to run his library and curate a collection of rare manuscripts. And she happens to be passing. Now, if you listen to the podcast, you know, I, I tend to be kind of intrigued by these particular stories and how people navigated this very dangerous precipice of identity. So this is a book I'm I'm really excited to be digging into and I was looking forward to since I heard about this true story that it's based on. 
but we will get into that more later and hopefully in detail with the writer. But that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you next week. And in the meantime, you know what to do. Keep it lit.